And, uh, and I'm so grateful that you're here. We are on the series, Everybody Always. This is the last week of the series, and I just love the worship. The songs really were so good for me, just where I am, you know, in my life and with our family and what's going on. And I just love, uh, you know, just I want more of you, God, just that whole call. And, you know, your plans will not change, and my love for you will not change. And when I look at my situation... And, and, and the situation our family is going through, there are times when I wish that the plans would change. And I would like, you know, well, God, I'd need the plan to change. And, but the love is going to be the same. But when you get to the place where you're like, you know, your plan is your plan. And I trust your plan, God, over mine. And my love for you will not change. Even if I'm disappointed, even if I approach heartbreak, you know, I'm, I, I trust you. And I love you. So I just love the worship. In this series, everybody always, and boy, I hope you go out and buy the book and, and just read it. And, and I think it will bless your life. Uh, and the outline that you have in the pew rack in front of you, I wrote this just about the series. And it's also uh, on an article on, online about the book. It says, Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always, he reveals what happens when we stop worrying about a challenging world full of difficult people and instead just simply love them. We discover the outsized, unfettered, liberated existence we've always dreamed of. Boy, that is so true. We learn what it means to love without inhibition and insecurity or restriction. From finding the exact right number of friends to discovering the upside of failure. Everybody always points the way to embodying love by doing the unexpected, the intimidating, and the seemingly impossible. We step into life with a no-limits embrace of others that is as infectious as it is extraordinarily ordinary. Everybody always reveals how the call of God teaches you how you can learn to love others the same way Jesus did. And so in this series, we're like, man, it's, I can love everybody sometimes. I can love some people all the time. But loving everybody always, it's so difficult. Time and chance overtake us all. Things happen. Situations happen. We get wounded or hurt or disappointed. People let us down. And after a while, we, we, we begin to put up these blocks, this these shield, keeping people at arm's distance, especially difficult people, so that we don't get hurt again. So in this series, we said that you can break people down into pretty much four different categories. And so we started with those close to you. Man, love people close to you. They're people that are easy to love, right? You love them, they love you, you've been friends a long time, you've been married a long time, you've had a business partner a long time. There are just some people, they've been in our life forever, and it just seems easy. And if something interrupts it, we talk to them quickly, I didn't mean to, I shouldn't have, I'm sorry, and we get back to relationship. But they're just easy. And then there are those on the bounce. There are those people who, they're in our lives, but they've gone through something that, that was hurtful. Uh, it may be health-related. It may be relationship-related. And we run to help them. We embrace them when they're hurting. And we want to help people on the bounce. And people go through a lot of difficult things. And so that's very intentional where we begin to run after other people who are hurting. And then, then there are those that are at risk. And these are people who have found themselves in the middle of bad habits. And these habits have stayed with them a long time. And it's interrupting life. And they're trying to overcome their addictions. They're trying to overcome and, 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 and try to make good decisions. 
And, and it, 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 oftentimes it wears us out, you know, it's like, my goodness, you know, when can we get past this? And, and I get to thinking, you know, oftentimes I'm like, you know, it's difficult for me to, or it's a challenge to continue with unconditional love, you know, people that are at risk until I realize I'm the one at risk. There are some people, I'm the risky one. For my parents, I, I'm telling you, I was always in trouble. And, and I was the one, and it's like, oh, my goodness, when will Rick ever start to think before he acts or before he says something or does something? And so how do we love well people who are struggling to find life? I'm so glad people took a chance on me when I was the risky one until I finally just surrendered to God. And then today we're talking about difficult people. There are people that are difficult you know, to love. Bob Goff, in his book, he calls them creepy people. There are people who just creep me out. <laughs> and, and there are. There are people who are, they just seem evil. They, they just, it's almost like they delight in wounding people. And it's like, how do I love somebody like that? So today is a little different. I've got less scripture. I do have one story I want to share with you. But today, I want you to hear from Bob Goff. He has an example that he just talks about. And so we bought all of his stuff, all of his small group stuff. And so I'm going to show you part of a small group clip. So this morning you're all in my small group, all right? And so I'm going to let Bob Goff talk to you. But before we get there, there are just several examples of forgiveness. And really at the end of life, that's really where it is. At the end of your life, there are only a couple of things that are important to you. Now this is real uh, impactful to me right now. Uh, you guys, for those of you who've been here a long time, you've been walking with me through my father's cancer. He's got uh, uh, you know, stage four cancer, and he's had that for five years and three months. God has been so gracious and extended time you know, with us. But my father's lost 35 pounds in the last two months, and so we, uh, we were called to go to Nashville. And said they want to take your dad into exploratory surgery. Well, he gets a scan every three months. There's nothing that they really don't know what's going on with my father. So we all knew what that meant. And so we just took off last minute. We went to Nashville. And they were able to take care of a couple of little things. But when it came to the cancer, and for those of you who've been a part of this before, you're walking through that. You know, it's they opened him up. They took a look. And all those little individual hundreds of little cancer cells have now all grown together and they've taken over and there was nothing they could do and they just sewed him back up and you know the surgeon didn't even want to have to deliver the message and as he's struggling with just getting his words out because they all go to church together and and uh, my mom just got up and prayed over him and she's like Lord we know that, that Dr. Taylor did everything he could I want him to be at peace and we're at peace and, you know, it's just a mess. But now my father is taking this, this holy journey home. And as we begin to walk these steps, whether it's a few weeks, a few months, or even if it were a year, as we begin to walk this, there will be this moment when Jesus will come with the death angel and my father will breathe his last breath in this jar of clay. And he will take his first breath of everlasting life. As a precious, holy moment. 
And in that moment, you, you can bottom line it to these two things. Is my father at peace with all men? And is my father at peace with God? That's my question for you today. Are you at peace with all men, all women, everyone, always, or not? And are you at peace with God? It's just, Jesus just bottom lined it for us. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything falls from there. If you can get those two things right, and my father does. So we just are sadly excited about his walk into the kingdom of heaven. And so that's my challenge for you today. And there's several examples, you know, all through the Bible about, about forgiveness and how do I let go of woundedness? People have really hurt me. And how can I let that go so that I can be at peace with all men? And so you read over in Acts, you know, there's Stephen, and he was just taking a stand for God, and people got so mad at him that they grabbed him and they said he was blaspheming, and they threw him in a pit. And they started stoning him, and with his last words, he's like, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and don't lay this sin against them. At peace with your fellow man, and at peace with God. That's the way to live, that's the way to die. Jesus, on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And into your hands I commend my spirit. At peace with your fellow man, and at peace with God. Well, there's an Old Testament story that I want to go over with you. And so the, the two fill-in-the-blanks that we have today is this little line. The difficult road of wonderful forgiveness is the path really toward everlasting life. But I want us to walk down this difficult road of wonderful forgiveness. And if there's a burden that you have in your heart, if there's something that you have against somebody, so much so that if they were to walk in the room, you wouldn't want to look at them or be around them. If that you wouldn't want to engage in a conversation, you wouldn't want to be face-to-face. Have you got that person in your eyes? Can you see them? And can, and can you feel what happens to you physically when you even think about the idea that you'd have to face them or talk to them or see them? So that's what this message is all about. What, what do we do then? Well, in Genesis, between chapters 37 and 50... We have this great story uh, of Joseph and his brothers. Wonderful story of forgiveness. I really want to encourage you, if you have nothing better to do today than take a nap, take the nap. And then read, starting in chapter 37, and just read all the way through the end of Genesis. So here's this boy, and Joseph is born, and he quickly is the, you know, the father's favorite. And so, and the father made no bones about it. He's like, he's my favorite, and he gives him a special coat, and he just gives him everything. And all the older brothers, they're all jealous. They're like, why doesn't our father love us the way he loves him? And then he turns into a teenager, and he starts rubbing it in their face. Nah, 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 you know, right? And so they're all just like, you know, whatever. And they're just sick of it. And he starts telling all of these, man, I had this dream, and all of you were bowing down to me. Isn't that awesome? And they're like... You know, we're not taking anymore. By the time you get to chapter 37, verse 18, they were done. They had had enough. And they are not going to spend any more time with this brother who keeps rubbing it in their face. And so, verse 18, chapter 37, book of Genesis. 
When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, oh, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And they did. As soon as he got up next to them, before he could open his mouth and display you know, his arrogance, they grabbed him. They were going to kill him. They threw him in this cistern. It didn't have any water in it, so he didn't drown, but he lived. And then they were going to kill him. His older brother really saved his life. And then they ate lunch. And so they're just sitting around eating lunch and laughing. The brother's crying out, don't stop, please. And then this band of followers is you know, on their way to Egypt. And they said, this is a better idea. Let's make some money off of him. Let's sell him into slavery. He was 17 years old. And they sold their brother into slavery and he was carried off into Egypt. He's begging, please don't, no, stop. And they didn't care. They were done. He gets over into Egypt. He's sold as a slave. He goes to a man's house named Potiphar. He starts to work for him. Eventually, he builds himself up and he is second in control at Potiphar's house. Potiphar trusts him with everything. And then Potiphar's wife finds him to be cute. One thing leads to another. She accuses him falsely of rape. He's thrown in prison. And now here he is sitting in prison wondering, how did I get here? And he's there for years because people forget about him even though he interprets a couple of dreams until eventually they remember. There's a dreamer in prison. Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret it. And they go and they get Joseph. And Joseph said, God interprets dreams and maybe he'll tell me what it is. What's your dream? He interprets it. There's going to be seven years of plenty. Man, we're going to have harvests that are fantastic. And then there's going to be seven years that are dry. And we need to store up all the grain that we can so that in those seven famine years, God will take care of us. And they said, put him in charge. God blesses him. And they had seven years of plenty and they stored up all their grain. And then the seven years of famine came. Two years into the famine Here he is in his late 30s, early 40s. And his brothers over in a distant land are experiencing the famine. They have no money. They have no food. They have no hope. And they make this trek over into Egypt. And they come begging for help. Well, Joseph is standing up at the front. He sees them come. And he is not seen. They don't recognize him. They haven't seen him since since he was a teenager. They thought he was dead or gone. And he sees them. And he is so overcome with emotion. He has to leave and go into the back room. He kicks everybody out in the room. And the Bible says that he cries so loud people thought he was dying. And he had to decide. What am I going to do? To these brothers who sold me out. Who wanted to kill me. Lied to my father and got rid of me. What am I going to do? But in his heart he knew I still love them. And so he knew what his plan was. And he had some back and forth with his brothers. They didn't recognize him. He put them in a hard position. Until they brought him in. They were going to arrest them all. 
And he sent everybody out of the room. By the time you get to chapter 45, I want to read you verses 1 through 3. We have four for this, verse 4 for the screen. But here's verses 1 through 3. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you! So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize Joseph was standing there in front of them. Verse 4. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of the entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. And then in verse 15 it said, Joseph kissed each of his brothers he wept over them, and after that, they began talking freely with him. Forgiveness sets you free. It also can set free the one who really wounded you. But it's really more about what God does inside you when you're willing to let go of all those things in the past where people have really hurt you. And I know, I know it hurts, I know. I've experienced it. I've both wounded a lot of people, been forgiven and not. And I've been wounded by people. And I pray there's not one person who has wounded me that I haven't forgiven. In fact, I think what Jesus teaches is that we want to have a heart of forgiveness even before there's a wound. So that when it happens, we already know how we're going to react. Well, you've been hearing about Bob Goff a lot. I want you to hear Bob Goff. Here is his story, and on the back of your outline, you can write any notes that you want. He's going to share with you some really good principles as it relates to how do you deal with people who are difficult to love. Here's Bob Goff. We're sitting in my backyard, and uh, I love this place. There's, there's a whole bunch of reasons I love it, and one of them is that it's actually the Republic of Uganda. I'm not kidding. It looks like it's the United States, but because I'm the Consul General for Uganda and the flag of Uganda flies over my house, it's literally Uganda. I'm the diplomatic mission of a foreign government to the United States. You know what's crazy? If you ever really screw up and need to seek asylum, <laughs> you can come here because it's not part of America. And here's the crazy part. Even though my house looks like every other house on the block, it's not because of the flag that flies, and we fly under the banner of Christ. And it changes everything, or it changes nothing. Here's my question, we've spent a couple weeks together, what's all this gonna change in you? And what it gets down to, I think, is the way that we love the people that are the most difficult in our life. 
Let me give you a couple of stories about some people that have been difficult in my life and what I've done about it. We took all the money from the Love Does book and we started building schools around the world, which kind of cracks me up because my worst subject in school was school. <laughs> but I'm pretty good at starting them. We have them in Iraq and Somalia, Nepal. We've got them all over the place. We've got one in Uganda. There was actually a nonprofit that some young guys had gotten into trouble in Uganda the first week they were there. So I went over to kind of bail them out. And while I was there, I was thinking, well, shoot, I'm a lawyer. Well, what if I go meet some judges? So I headed for the courthouse and I said, hi, my name is Bob Goff and I'm here to see the judge, <laughs> not knowing who it was. And she said, do you have an appointment? I said, well, actually no, but I've just come 18,000 miles from San Diego. And she said, well, one moment, please. And she disappeared behind some doors and she came out a couple minutes later and she said, the judge will see you now. <laughs> I tried to not to fake total surprise, which is hard for me. So I walked in and there's a guy sitting at the desk. He's got his head down. He looks up at me and he kind of gestures towards a seat. And I sat down and when he looked up, he said, uh, I like, why are you here? I said, my Lord, I've come a long way. I'm here and I just want to help. And he said, well, let me tell you about what's going on in Uganda. He started telling me more and more about the history of the country. You know who this was? This was the chief justice of their Supreme Court. I'm not lying. <laughs> he wrote Uganda's constitution. And so we started this beautiful friendship. We talked about justice. We talked about Jesus. We talked about kids. Well, we became fast friends and he actually said, you've visited my office now. I'd love to come and visit yours. Now, I teach a course at Pepperdine Law School. And, and so everybody who teaches as an adjunct professor at Pepperdine has to have office hours. But get this, they don't say where. So I have mine on Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland. And, and so the Chief Justice of Uganda Supreme Court flew into LAX and we picked him up and he said, can we go to your office? I'm like, sure. And we drove past all the high rises on Wilshire Boulevard. And we pulled into Disneyland's parking lot. He's like, you have an office here? I'm like, you should see my pirate ship. <laughs> and I took him on the jungle cruise because I wanted to know what Africa's really like, right? And when we were all done, we went over to Tom Sawyer Island. We had this beautiful conversation. It was about justice. It was about Jesus and it was about kids again. And we finished the conversation by talking about this horrible practice they have in Uganda. And it's not just Uganda, but many countries and it's child sacrifice. These witch doctors in the country that everybody's afraid of actually sacrifice kids like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these kids every year. But in the history of Uganda, nobody would ever taken on a witch doctor. You know why? They were afraid of them. We're not afraid of these guys. They're punks. And so I asked the judge, would it be okay if we ever found a victim that survived one of these attacks? Would you let me try a case against them? And the judge said, yes. Well, it was back in San Diego and the phone rang. And I got a call from Uganda. There'd been a little boy. We're just gonna say his name is Charlie. He'd been abducted by one of the most vicious evil men I've ever met in my life. The name of this man is Kabi. Kabi was the head of the witch doctors up in the north. 
and as Charlie was walking home from school, Kabi abducted him and took him into the bush. The belief in Uganda is that the head or blood or private parts of a little kid have these magical powers. And the problem is this, there's always a victim of these crimes, but they're always dead. Uh, and, and then everybody's too afraid to go after the witch doctors. Well, this little boy had been taken into the bush and they cut off all of his private parts. But get this, you guys, this kid lived. And for the first time, we had a bad guy who was in jail. We had a victim who was alive. So I flew right back to Uganda. I met with the chief justice again. And I said, would you let me participate in Uganda's first death penalty case against a witch doctor? And he said, Bob, I'll, I'll let you do it. You will never find a judge who will touch that. And then we did. You know, this judge loved God. He believed that the, the, the power of justice in the world, he could have done anything he wanted, but he decided he was gonna take a big risk. And when he said he would try this case, a couple of witch doctors showed up at his house. People who are willing to put wheels on their faith are willing to take tremendous risks to do that. Not so they'd be the hero, not so they'd be the victim, but so they'd be a participant. And you know the crazy part is you and I get to do that. We get to just say, what are we good at? I'm a lawyer, I know how to try cases. What is it that you're good at? And go take that around the block for a drive. Again, you don't have to go across an ocean, but say the confluence of our faith is this. It's all the things that God talked about and said we were. Don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what you do. What are you good at? Where do you have an opportunity? And then what's gonna last and go do that? Well, we decided this trial would last. Kabi goes away to Lazira Maximum Security Prison. It's the scariest place on earth. It was built in 1920 for 200 death row inmates. There's 3,000 men at Lazira. Uh, and there's not windows, there's just a place you go to Lazira to die. And the word of this conviction came out and went to 44 million Ugandans. And here was the message, you touch a kid, it's over. Now the way my world works, there's terrific little kids like Charlie, and then there's people who are evil like Kabi. And I want every awesome thing to happen to Charlie. God loves kids and he loves justice, but Jesus also said in Matthew 5, love your enemies. And because Kabi was my enemy, I decided to take these promises, these mandates in Matthew 5 about loving our enemies for real. And so I called the warden at Lazira Maximum Security Prison. I let him know I'm the Consul General for the Republic of Uganda, and I wanted to meet Kabi. And, he, and I met Kabi inside this dark room in Lazira. When Kabi came in, he took a knee and he started telling me about how bad he felt about what he'd done to Charlie. And I was thinking to myself, well, you just feel bad that I caught you. Then he started talking about witchcraft and what it had done in his life. And then his words, not mine, he said, I know I'm gonna die in this place. Do you know what I need? I need forgiveness. And I felt like I was talking to a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus. You know the one that Jesus turned to and said, you get paradise. And you know what, you guys? I didn't want Kabi to get in because he hurt my friend. But isn't it terrific that God's ability to forgive us isn't limited by our ability to get it? And get this, Kabi comes to Christ. I'm like, really? 
Like he's into, I wasn't trying to get him in. I was trying to keep him out. But, but we don't need to understand everything about forgiveness to get a little. And one of the things that might be keeping you away from this big life that Jesus talked about is that you're just wrapped around the axle being all the earlier versions of you. I know you did something rotten or you looked at something or you, you just got this big secret you don't want anybody to know about. But on your very worst day, on your biggest screw up, you don't want to let anybody know about. Do you know what God calls you? He calls you beloved. And if you're not hearing the words beloved spoken over your shoulder right now, it ain't Jesus talking. I asked the warden, has anybody ever presented the gospel message here on death row? And he said, nobody gets in here. I said, well, Copy lives here now. Could he do it? And it was like I did this Jedi thing because the warden said yes. And so a couple trips later, Copy and I held hands in the courtyard of Lazira Maximum Security Prison, and he presented the gospel of Christ to 3,000 dying men. And you know what, you guys? He screwed it up. <laughs> I've never heard anybody hack the gospel worse than Kabi. I don't think I even believed in Jesus when he was done. I was like, what? <laughs> he messed it all up. Do you know what he got right was this idea of forgiveness. Man, that's the deal. We're not gonna love our enemies until we can receive that for us. And after Kabi said this, all these prisoners started coming towards him. He grabbed a bottle of water and started baptizing him. I'm like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, well, maybe, <laughs> shoot. And if we keep our distance from the people that God made, it would be like reading every other page of the Bible and thinking we knew what it said. God made all of us. He made some of us more creepy than others. Instead of trying to figure everybody out, just love everybody. I know it's hard. I get it. I get it. Do it anyway. He didn't say it would be easy. God just said it would work. And so, as we wrap up this time together, what I want you to think about is what are the action steps? So what's your big next step? And it might be just finding somebody that you're estranged with, somebody that You've really kept your distance from because they wounded you deeply. And, and there's some people that are just unsafe to be around. So I want you to be smart about how you do this. I want you to take a friend if you need to. Talk to some people that are, that are good at this stuff. But don't let fear keep you stuck. I mean, Satan, I'm sure on the seventh day when God was resting, he, he said, what if I just distract everybody by having a bunch of opinions and a bunch of people that weirded each other out. I'll keep them all isolated from each other and, and then arguing with each other. And then they'd be so distracted, they'd never get around to the beauty of seeing what God's doing in their life. And I'll tell you, man, you can do a U-turn on that. You can just take some of these people that have been difficult and engage them. Again, it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. You oh, man, what a great message, huh? God looks to forgive you today. Who here needs the forgiveness of God? Maybe you've been holding on to your own life for so long, your own hurts, your own past, your own poor decisions. You've been so caught up in it that you didn't believe that a holy God could love someone like you. But he's running after you with everything 
the whole gospel, the whole message, the whole Bible. This is, the whole thing is full of one story. All these men and women who messed up their lives and God rescued all of them that would let him. And the Bible says that when someone feels like their life is like, if this is 2 Samuel 14, 14. If you look like, you feel like your life is like water spilt on the ground that can't be gathered up again. My life is a mess. The Bible says God is not destroying your life, but he's devising ways to bring you back to him. Whew, that's overwhelming. This is the invitation of God, and it's for you. And as you receive that forgiveness, the call of God is now go extend the same forgiveness to those who have wounded you or those to whom you have wounded. Are you brave enough to do that? Will you take a chance and take a step out in faith on God today? This is your invitation. This is the place where we say, God, I love you and I surrender.